If you would, uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 67. We're going to be taking a look at what is called the Benedictus. Not the whole thing, but a good portion of it. Um, As this is the Christmas season, I wanted to take a break from Romans and um, talk to you guys about the advent of our Messiah. So, again, that's Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 67. We'll be reading through verse 75. It says, His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. Let's pray. Father, we come to you, Lord, and we just uh, we lift up our hearts. Lord, we open up our minds, open up our hearts. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us. Lord, that you would speak through me. Lord, that this message would pierce us. Lord, that we would draw nearer to you. Lord, that we would put away the things that we make sacred that you don't. Lord, that we would, um, Lord, that we would make our mission in life, Lord, just to, to glorify you. Lord, we thank you for the fact that you chose to, to come and, and uh, dwell as man and, and live a sinless life and take our place. Lord, we, we praise you for the fact that you were willing to do what we couldn't or that you redeemed us. Uh, Lord, we just pray that uh, our worship would be pleasing to you. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so, well, uh, Merry Christmas, uh, if I'm allowed to say that. Culture says I can't. I think it's safe here, right? Absolutely. Okay, I don't have to say Happy Holidays. Okay, okay, so Christmas is a really politicized time of year. Um, big divide, war on Christmas, uh, um, can't say, you know, Merry Christmas. Uh, you got uh, things like Starbucks re you know, redecorating their their cups, stuff like that. It becomes a very politicized time of year. It's also a very commercialized time of year where we spend a lot of time, uh, I mean, think about Thanksgiving, the day after Thanksgiving, Black Friday. You know, we spend a day where we're thankful about what all we've already got, and then we go beat each other up the next day for all the things that we wish we had. And so it's uh, it's also a very commercialized uh, holiday where we, um, don't really focus on what is important. And uh, so that's what, I, that's what I want to talk about is what we as Christians celebrate. It should be all year, uh, but what we specifically focus on it at Christmas, and that is the birth of the Messiah. Okay? And so uh, the first thing that I want to look at in this text is that uh, there's the prophecy of the Messiah. If you look at verse 70, it says, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. And I've talked about this over and over and over and over again. It's funny how repetitive it can be, right? It's as if there's really only one message, right? Um, And so the first prophecy, like we've discussed multiple times, the first prophecy of the Messiah to come is as early as in Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, immediately following the fall of man, the Lord says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So right from the get-go, as we've discussed in Romans, uh, when we sinned and we were unfaithful to God, 
God immediately turned around and he already had a plan to redeem us. And he says right there um, that he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And that is prophetic that Christ would come, that the serpent, uh, the, the Satan, would uh, strike a blow against Jesus. And Satan would think that he had won. And that was the moment when Jesus was nailed to the cross. Uh, Satan believed that he had won the battle, but in doing so, he sealed his own fate. And Jesus crushed his head through his resurrection. And so that's the first prophecy of the Messiah. The second one that I want to examine comes from Micah chapter 5, verse 2. It says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrath, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. And so, once again, we see that Jesus, the Messiah, who is born in Bethlehem, um, is the fulfillment of this prophecy from ages ago. And even in Micah, it says, uh, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. We know that in uh, the book of John, it talks about that in the beginning, the, uh, the word was with God and the word was God. And so we see that Jesus is who uh, the, uh, the, the, entire, uh, the entire universe was created through. All of this was going to happen the way that it was going to happen before the universe was ever even created. So God knew that he was going to create us. He was going to give us the free will to worship him, to follow him. He also knew that we weren't going to do it, that we were going to rebel. We were going to do our own thing. And so before he ever even created us, he had a plan set in motion that this Messiah would come and he would do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And so um, the third prophecy that I want to examine, and there's a lot. I could go through, we could spend um, probably months just looking at uh, prophecy in the Old Testament of the Messiah. So I just wanted to examine three of them. Um, The third one is from Isaiah chapter 52, starting in verse 13. And I'm actually just going to read this from... uh, for you. Um, It's a little lengthy, so just bear with me. So see, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and be highly, highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations, uh, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand." Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was like Uh, He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgressions of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. 
Yet, the, uh, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the, Lord, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And so we see, again, what the Jews at the time just couldn't see was that the Messiah that was coming was going to come, but he was going to suffer. He was going to be rejected, and he was going to die. And that that dying was atonement. It was penance for us. And so uh, in the story right here in uh, in Luke, in verse 68, we have the moment, um, the advent of the Messiah. If you don't know what the word advent means, it's just the, uh, the coming of an important person. The arrival of a notable person. And so um, you have, I mean, if you just stop and you just think about it, imagine that the whole world is groaning. From the time that the fall of man has happened, you have um, again and again, as we've discussed, the, 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 Israelites are looking for somebody to come in and to lead them into glory. There's this permanent separation between man and God because of the sinfulness that exists. And despite the law's efforts and uh, the the, uh, Israelites' efforts to, to be righteous and holy through the law, it's become impossible. They can't stand in the presence of the Lord. And so at one point, you see, uh, again, all of these characters raised up. You think that these judges throughout the book of Judges are going to come in and they're going to save Israel because you have this nation that's come in and, and, and has oppressed them. And this judge comes in and redeems them. And Israel thinks, here we are. This is the Messiah. This is what's what, what we've been looking for. They're going to lead us into glory. And once again, the judges fail. And then the kings rise up, and, and especially with, with David, you think, this is it. This is our moment. This is when we're going to glorify God. We're going to be um, who God has wanted us. We're going to walk in perfect fellowship with God. And then David fails. And then Solomon comes, and Solomon builds this temple. And again, Israel thinks, here it is. And Solomon fails. And over and over and over and so then you have this moment where the Messiah is born. And there's a song, are you guys familiar with the, um, the Days of Elijah, the hymnal, the Days of Elijah? One of my favorite hymnals, it says, um, it's the year of Jubilee. And the year of Jubilee was the 50th year. Okay? Every 50th year, um, all debts had to be forgiven. Um, Jews were to um, give back any land that was sold um, to pay off debts. Any people that had gone into uh, slavery, indentured servanthood, were to be released back to their land. And that's, that's exactly what's happening here, is we have this year of jubilee. The Messiah has been born. Finally, that Savior has come in and is going to lead us into glory. Um, the problem is, is that we didn't know what that was going to look like. And so uh, in, their, uh, in, in, in the Jews' desire to shut him down, they actually fulfilled all of these prophecies that they had been studying and were too blind to see. But it's that moment of glory. This is the most exciting thing that has ever happened in the history of mankind. The Messiah that's going to come in and is going to live this perfect life and do for us what we cannot do has finally made his entrance. Okay, And so 
Going back to the text, what is the mission of the Messiah? Uh, we read through uh, verse 71 through 75, we see that um, Zechariah has prophesied that uh, the Messiah would bring salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And so, uh, right off the bat, looking in verse 71, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. And so, again, this is what the Jews were looking for. They expected that the Messiah was going to come in and he was going to be this political figure, this military figure that was going to come in and was just going to break the oppression um, from Assyria, from the Roman Empire at the time that that Jesus was born. He's going to come in and he's going to lead them into this newly established kingdom where the Jews were going to reign. But it's because they didn't understand. Who is our real enemy? We've discussed this. We have one enemy, and it's not each other. The fact that we think it's each other results in a whole lot of problems. This whole war on Christmas thing is, is, is one of the problems. We think that we're at war with one another. We're not. There's one enemy. And Jesus came to fulfill the prophecy in Genesis 3.15 to crush the serpent's head to deal that fatal blow to Satan, to seal Satan's fate, and to free us from the bondage that we had created for ourselves by choosing to rebel against uh, God. Uh, The second thing that we see in verse 72 was to show mercy to our fathers. Um, As we've seen uh, in our study of Romans, um, that God reveals his righteousness from faith to faith. And it's like we've talked about, every time we screw up, God is faithful. And so even through this time, I mean, think about it. Jesus is nailed to the cross, and what does he say? Forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And so every time we have done what we thought was right in our own eyes and we've screwed it up, God has been faithful. And so here he's showing mercy to our fathers. All of these um, uh, figures throughout uh, Israel's history that could not save themselves, Abraham, Abraham, David, Solomon, uh, they're now through the blood of Christ because Christ's blood stretched beyond the boundaries of time and it made atonement for sins in a way that no animal sacrifice ever could. And so Christ is crucified and he atones for even the sins that had been committed thousands of years before his birth. Okay, And so uh, we see that God shows mercy to us and, and, and to all of his creation through the blood of Christ. That's the second thing, uh, second mission of the Messiah. He says to remember his holy covenant uh, in verse 72 as well. Uh, and as we have been studying in Romans, uh, Christ is the fulfillment again. Uh, he is remembering, and remembering in our terms means that we've forgotten something. It's, that's not what it means. God doesn't forget things. Um, remembering is just he's fulfilling that which he set out to do from the beginning. And so that's the next thing, the, again, that the, the Messiah has come to fulfill these promises. Um, one of those promises is the promise that, made, that God made to Abraham, where God told Abraham, I would make you the father of many nations, and through you the whole world would be blessed. Because if you think about it, all through Israel's history, the Gentiles were excluded. The, the Israel was the only one that had fellowship with the Lord through the tabernacle and through the law of Moses. And Jesus comes in and he makes this perfect atonement, this perfect sacrifice. And now that fulfill or that promise made to Abraham is fulfilled in that Christianity is extended out 
to all nations, to all peoples. And so um, we see that his mission was to fulfill his covenant. Uh, then we see, um, this is a big one, oh my gosh, to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness in verse 74 and 75. So in the tabernacle and in the temple, there was a place in the very center called the Holy of Holies. It's where the Ark of the Covenant was. And the Holy of Holies was about 15 feet by 15 feet, perfect uh, perfect square room where the Ark of the Covenant sat. And there was this big veil. Uh, according to Jewish tradition, the veil was as thick as the palm of a, of a man, palm of a hand, okay? Um, now, that's not something we can attest to in Scripture, but according to Jewish tradition, it was a very, very thick veil. And that veil symbolized this... Um, this um, separation between us and God. And so the Holy of Holies was the place where the Spirit of God dwelt. And we weren't allowed to enter into it. If you entered into the Holy of Holies, um, you were sinful and God was holy and you were destroyed. There was only one person at a time that was allowed to enter, and it was on one day of the year. And uh, the high priest was allowed to go in and place uh, a sacrifice, or place, uh, um, yeah, sacrifice on the mercy seat here. Um, once a year, and he had to purify himself through sacrifice before he could go in. And so what we see is that Christ has, he's torn the veil. As he was nailed to the cross, the veil was ripped, and that was so symbolic, because now the separation between us and God was gone. The Holy of Holies is no longer something that we look to because we are the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies is the place where the Spirit of God dwelt, and now, as Christians, as people that, that, that claim the victory of Christ, the Spirit of God dwells in us. We've become the Holy of Holies. And that's amazing. Because with that, we're free to worship the Lord. We don't have to have fear of walking into the presence of the Lord because we won't be consumed. Because God has credited Jesus' righteousness to us. And so we're, we're constantly pure. We're constantly holy, not by our own merit, but by the merit of our Savior. Amen. Okay. And so um, what was the purpose of the Messiah? We see that these were his mission. This is what he came to do. Why did he come to do it? And that is in verse 68, it says, um, because he has come and has redeemed his people. The story of the Bible is one of redemption. God had a plan from the beginning. He came to redeem us. Now, the, the word redeem has several meanings, and I, I love it because as I was looking through uh, the word redeem, I find that they're absolutely all applicable here. To buy back, to free from what harms, to change for the better, to repair or restore, to remove the obligation of payment, to atone. How beautiful is that? God has bought us back. Satan came in and he convinced us to rebel against God, and now we've been held at ransom. The law holds us, at ran holds us at ransom because we cannot meet the requirements of the law. We cannot be holy. Satan has us as prisoners. And Jesus came in and he paid the ransom and he bought us back. To free from what harms? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And so we had made this decision to rebel against God, and we see that again and again and again, this is a downward spiral. Spiral. Not only does our sin lead us to destruction eternally, sin destroys here. Now, the wages of sin is death, and Jesus paid the price. He went to the cross, and he freed us from those things. To change for the better. I think that one's pretty self-evident. 
when we can stand in the presence of God because his spirit dwells in us, we know that we've been changed for the better. We're no longer living to the selfish desires. We're no longer living to, to sin. We've died to sin and we live for Christ. To repair, restore. Again, Jesus said that uh, the temple would be destroyed and he'd be rebuilt it in three days. And that's what's happened. He's repaired this wrong relationship with God. To remove the obligation of payment. This is a really good one. As Christians, sometimes we can get really caught up in legalism where we think that we have to earn our salvation. And it's something that we can never do. We don't have to make payment. Payment was made. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. And then he atoned for our sins. So Jesus came in and he redeemed us. That was his purpose from before his birth, from the beginning of the universe. He redeemed us. And so that leads us to the last thing. What is our response to the Messiah? And our response is there in verse 68. It was Zechariah's response where he says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. See, I think that one of the biggest things that we can do is we can get caught up in things that don't matter. You know, there's this war on Christmas. Sure, it exists. You know, there's a big secular push. But as Christians, why do we care? They can't take away from us the victory that's already been won. Let them commercialize Christmas. Let them say happy holidays. Why do we care? They can't take away our salvation. They can't remove the fact that we have perfect harmony with, with our Savior, with our, with our God. They can't take that from us. And that's the, that's the reason to rejoice. You know, um, our goal, our mission here is to continue the mission of Christ. Christ's mission was to come in and to redeem And our mission is to go out and find the people that are still caught up in the enemy's camp, that are still prisoners of war, and proclaim to them the victory that the enemy's been defeated. And we can't do that if we're too busy bickering with one another. If we forget that we have one enemy, if we think that these people that are waging war against our traditions, because honestly, Christmas and the Christmas season, it's, it's, it's just a tradition. It's a cultural thing. You don't see any evidence of Christmas in here. It's just a time that we celebrate. But we celebrate all year. We celebrate all of our lives. So instead of fighting this culture war, how about we just love people? And we just show them that no matter what happens, our victory can't be taken from us. And I love this. It's the perfect close right here. Um, Romans chapter 8, verse 38 through 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's the reason for the season. That's the reason for why we celebrate. It's what Christmas is all about. And whether Christmas is December 25th or January 1st or April 16th, it doesn't matter because... The victory was won, and it was once for all.